0: This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original.
1: You on want a the great other hat or you want
0: to make your boots Texas, great again, go see them at 3035, the Street or Flint Texans, and 34th Street. And love it or see more at They don't
2: like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas, halls,
3: we roll along. Howdy!
0: Thanks for tuning in, and thank you for hanging out on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. This edition is being brought to you from Midland, Texas. Feel the energy! The midway point between El Paso and Fort Worth. I'm here pre-taping the program as my daughter and I head down to Fort Davis for a weekend of camping. This program is, thanks to you and you sharing with friends, Gaining great momentum, and at least that's what our marketing folks tell us. I do it for the fun, and I do it to hang out with you and tell stories from this side of Texas, but uh, it seems like it is beginning to catch on, according to podcast and website traffic, etc. But the feedback that we get is that the greatest asset is our interviews. And that said, we wanted to bring you bits from recent interviews that, for different reasons probably most of all newsworthiness, and the merits of the interviewees, deserve to be heard again. So today what we want to do is bring you four different interviews, bits from four different interviews, with notables such as Congressman Jody Arrington of Lubbock, a State Representative Chairman for Price of Amarillo, St. Arnold Brewing Company's Brock Wagner, and former Texas House Speaker, the man from Hell, Center, Pete Laney. First up, there's lots of tension at present amongst sorghum and port producers caught up in what could become a global trade war and a tariff war. Hear now from Congressman Jody Arrington discuss a meeting with the president and the president's word that he, quote, will have our backs. And I want you to hear him now in his own words Congressman Congressman whenever i was a kid the big deal was that we always went to putt putt like that was the big like maybe once a quarter you got if you made your a's and you read your books and you got your book of awards like you went to pizza hut and then you got to go to putt putt but we played this game and it was like bop-up bop a gopher or a prairie dog or whatever it was. Yes. So they would just come up and just boom, 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 boom. And I'm watching all this agriculture. It's just one thing. After like, Okay, Brazil. And then that deal. And then maybe we can squeak in cotton under the, the disaster relief uh, bill. And then once that's done, guess what? We're going to have a trade war with China and sorghum and pork. You're first up. I mean, it's just always something.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to uh, this economy, trade, farm bills, taxes. Um, I think we're getting most of it right, but you know, the people sent this president to shake shake things up, and I think he's doing the right thing by holding uh, China, uh, for example, accountable by uh, for not playing by the same rules everybody else is. I I got to have a meeting with him on this. I was representing Texas. There were other ag states and districts in the meeting. It was at the White House, and and um, look, I, I I think that uh, the United States is the only country that can stand up to bad actors when it comes to trade, mm-hmm. and um, turns out even the use of chemical weapons and other things. But in this case, it's it's trade and unfair and anti-competitive behavior, and uh, th- this president. The thing about him is he's not. Easily influenced, and that's actually a positive thing, because it doesn't take much before some industry group or some special interest—they could be good special interest—but p- applies pressure, and he uh, blinks, and then we can't hit reset. The whole goal is to hit hit reset, and either have them playing by the by the same rules as everybody else, or out of the game altogether. I got to tell the story about China. I said, we know this all too well. We used to be number one in cotton production in the world. Now we're number three. Guess who's number one, Mr. President? China. And then I went on to talk about how they stockpile and dump uh, uh, cheap cotton on the market, or they have, how they've had state-sponsored farming in China. It's really hard to compete when you have <laughs> you know, the government basically Owning and operating uh, your see, your farmers.
0: Neighbor's got eight thousand acres, and that's a
4: whole lot. But uh, I'll take the neighbor over a uh, uh, a country. Yeah, so <laughs> I think the continent. You know, so I think in some ways, um, if they could, they'd love to put us out of business of feeding our own people Do you and making. Bullet? And by the way, and making war machines and and other important products with aluminum and steel. If the shoe is on the other foot. We would want our president to fight for our for our ag producers. As it is, it's steel and aluminum manufacturing, and so the, he we he has to be smart and he has to be careful and thoughtful. And those are that's part of the advice we were all giving him: be targeted, be measured. But I told him our folks stand with him. I, we got almost a, if it wasn't a standing ovation, it was certainly the biggest applause line when I talked to the Plains Cotton Growers at their annual meeting and said we need to stand by this president and hold China accountable for their behavior. And uh, so I think our guys are for him. I certainly am.
0: Well, I get it. And, I you know, I hear people say, well, look, uh, let's go to the Korean Peninsula for just a second. But, you know, well, we've done this. This is the third time we've done this. You know, South Korea, uh, Korean reunification. You know, we've been there before, so let's not get overly optimistic. But at the same time, it didn't seem like a strategy of, let's just let the process play out through the Obama administration was necessarily compelling to Korea, like going out and putting putting big boats out in the water in the peninsula or near the peninsula. Now, that became compelling. for So I understand Trump, and, you know, I'm one who I actually appreciate the Rocket Man stuff. I think it's, it makes for good radio <laughs> <laughs> and columns and whatnot. But on the other side of that, we're – we got sorghum and pork guys yeah. specifically. nervous. Those are the first two like, okay. Well, I appreciate the aggressive tone, but we're going to be writing the notes here. Do you think that those countries are going to flinch?
4: I do. Okay. If we ever had the, the the guts to to stay on course, and I think this president, and 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 he said this the other day, and he took actually this is what I told him in the meeting. We can't hit reset with China. We're addicted to cheap products. We are uh, Status quo is a very difficult thing to change in Washington. Uh, we know that this will be painful in the early stages. If we can hold out and if you will get the NAFTA deal done, it'll take a lot of pressure off our ag producers. If you can do more free trade deals in the Asia Pacific area, that'll put more pressure on China. I think there are things you can do without blinking in this reset with China. Don't blink; our guys are standing with you. But when all else fails, just give us your word that you're going to take care of the fallout for our farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. As um, I mean, what was his how did he respond? He, he to? said, "Absolutely." That that was his first sort of statement is that he's committed to taking care of our ag producers to the extent there is fallout. He just said, hang in there with me. We're gonna get this right, but I gotta I gotta have you with me while I'm doing my thing. And his thing is very different than most presidents. I mean this isn't your traditional this isn't your mom and dad's politician. And and I think it's refreshing and I think it's look, Measure a man or a woman, measure a leader by their results. This president, in a one-on-one negotiation with the president of China, got beef into the largest market in the world that where it's been precluded for 14 years. Same thing with pork in South America. Just measure, I think, and judge this president by his results because his personality is a little uh, unnerving. And his style can be unnerving, his methods. And I don't even subscribe to, to, to any of or all the above all the time. But I, I do believe that he's got this country and the manufacturers and producers' best interest. I think his instincts were right. We're not getting fair deals. No. And I think he's right. We need to bring back the made-in-America not necessarily superficially just to go out and buy things because it's made in America, but to maintain the ability to make stuff we don't want to be a a pure service economy that's not that's not a strong future for this country
0: you know what a big economic hit's going to be whenever all these news agencies have one guy whose job it is just to monitor the president 's tweets <laughs> and then whenever then whenever that's in the next cycle or he wins again. There's going to be a lot of people out of jobs, yes. know, and more more jobs lost in media. I want to switch over with you here to SNAP and what you're seeing, what do you think the reforms will be in SNAP?
4: Well, the reforms we have in there now, I think, could be dialed up, I think, because they're going to have to be negotiated out of the Senate where you have 10 Democrats that we've got to get before we move it to the president's desk. But as it is today, it's going to be a straight Republican vote, it looks like. Although I'm not so sure that the public sentiment will not be so strong and overwhelming that some Democrats will come back over. Because if you think about it, this is a pretty reasonable and measured step in the right direction with respect to work requirements. We're just saying if you're 18 to 59... Meanwhile, the rest of us have to work till we're 64 before we can uh, earn our benefit of Social Security. But we're saying, if you're an able-bodied adult, 18 to 59, you have to work 20 hours a week to receive the benefit. We're not kicking you off of the of the food stamp roll. We're like, saying. Like in privately employed? Or are we talking about WPA, like
0: they're going to go down and help build the wall? I mean,
4: Listen, there's six million surplus jobs in this country, and I credit a lot of that to the tax and regulatory well, relief. The,
0: the jobs that, I mean, what about the jobs that quote-unquote no Americans want to do?
4: Well, um, there are no Americans that want to do those jobs because we've created a system where they don't have to have those jobs. As my dad always said, you want a man you want a system where people don't go hungry, but you—I mean—where they don't starve to death, but you want to keep them hungry enough that they're looking for a job. You
0: and I were in—I went to a function that you were speaking at in Stanford with young professionals, and we were at the uh, at the Cowboy Hall yes. there in Stanford, and heart tapped Charlie Stenholm and. <laughs> And we were there, and there were twin brothers, and one of them ran a huge operation in Wichita Falls, and he buses people out, right, to to Stanford, and he pulled me aside and said, "Hey, look, I can't get people to work because unless I like pay them a lot more than what market value is, because they have comfortable settings, they they everything's taken care of. If they went to work for me, then they would lose these benefits."
4: Yeah, that's, so that's exactly right. We, we've disincentivized work. I think the food stamp program or Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program is part of the problem. But there are lots of them. Med- Med- Medicaid. I mean, you have people that uh, are showing up at emergency rooms where it's the most expensive way to provide care when all they need is a primary care doctor, but there's no skin in the game, there's no shared cost, so why wouldn't you go to the emergency room? There, it's, look, the system is riddled with um, disincentives for responsible behavior, but in this case, we get the first big bite, I think, at the welfare reform apple, and oh, by the way, a, a president of another party was a leader in this regard and his name was Bill Clinton. He signed Welfare to Work in in 1996. You should go back and read his remarks. We can't trap people in the cycle of dependence on government. We didn't create welfare to be a lifestyle. You would think it was Ronald Reagan talking. So I don't know where we lost our way. He was pragmatic though. Yeah, he was a pragmatic. Absolutely. But we need some pragmatic Democrats to get this reasonable work requirement so that we can incentivize people to be their best to enjoy the blessing and dignity of work and the best way out of poverty is work. I love the capitalist side of you, by the way. Hey,
0: I tell you what, people people may draw the wrong conclusions about me. Uh, again, a great note uh, from Morgan. I'm loving the podcast. I listen to it every morning from iTunes, being able to listen to the prior day's episode. The next morning is awesome. You've replaced my usual podcast, and it's the first podcast I listen to every day. Thank you for that, Morgan. And you can go to iTunes. Go to uh, other side of Texas, and I'll tell you, it's worth what you pay for it, which is absolutely nothing. If you like it, leave us a good rating there. Congressman Jody Arrington, he's still getting used to being called congressman? You know, Jody, is Jody is, out? you know. cotton Eye Jody. cotton Eye Jody. You know, that oh, was, that's another thing. That's First not, yeah. congressman. Okay. First congressman.
4: Well, now look. Here's the thing. I knew two, two things made me very proud, and it it was a good signal that we were making some progress when i had a meeting with the speaker he had several of us around and he asked us to give sort of five minutes worth of what we were what was on our minds what we hoped to accomplish this was you know several months ago probably maybe yeah several months ago and uh he got to me and before i could get anything out of my mouth he said i know i know cotton 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 and uh that that I thought we could, we're making some progress, and uh, people know what we're here to do. And, and then, of course, when my colleague on the uh, commodity subcommittee that oversees Title I, when he introduced me for my five-minute remarks, said, uh, and I yielded the gentleman from Texas for five minutes, Cotton Eye Jody. I said, <laughs> you know, that's okay. You know, it's okay because uh, we had a lot of help from a lot of folk, some from the Cotton Belt, and some from other parts of the country, but everybody pulled in the leadership. I give a lot of credit to to Speaker Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, who came out here for an event in Lubbock and claimed that he had as big a cotton district, I think, as I did, and I, I took exception with that. Mm-hmm. But in you know what? Everybody. Uh, oh, nice. But you know, uh, yeah, he did in yeah. front of everybody, yeah. didn't he? So you said something for, about back So much for the good desk. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> now I, you're up I, in the balcony. I'll let him say whatever he wants <laughs> if he's going to help carry the water to get cotton back in the farm bill safety net, and he did.
1: EMILY JONES FOR ABC BANK. LIFE IS A HUSTLE. AS A BUSY MOM, WIFE, AND SPORTSCASTER, THERE IS NEVER AN EXTRA MINUTE IN THE DAY. I RELY ON ABC BANK TO HAVE MY BACK. THEY HAVE THE TOOLS I NEED TO GET MY BANKING DONE ON THE GO. I LIKE MY BANKING SIMPLE AND HONEST, AND THEY TAKE THE HASSLE OUT OF THE HUSTLE. BANK ON BETTER WITH ABC BANK. MEMBER FDIC, AN EQUAL HOUSING lender
4: smile it's gonna be okay jason white dentistry the west texas way one smile at a time that's how it's done we treat you like you're the only one your peace mind is our state of mind we want to get to know you one smile at a time smile it's gonna be okay
5: jason white dentistry the west texas way Hi, this is Fred Hardin, a.k.a. Dr. Fred, Branch Manager of Willow Bend Mortgage, where we provide comprehensive mortgage services, including purchases, refinances, and renovation loans. We're also committed to serving our community heroes by offering $760 off closing costs as our way of saying thank you. Call me at Willow Bend Mortgage today for your perfect home loan. Willow Bend Mortgage, living local, lending local. Willow Bend Mortgage is an equal housing lender.
0: This is not an offer for extension of credit or a commitment to lend. Information and pricing are subject to change at any time without notice.
6: When you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's The Other Side of Texas with Jay Leeson.
1: I work the rigs from 3 to midnight. On the Corpus Christi Bay, I'd get off and drink till daylight, sleep the morning away. The
0: following segment is brought to you by Racer Car Wash, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across the hub city for the best wash around. I use them. And you'll love them too. Find your closest location at racerwash.com and go ahead and sign up for that VIP pass while you're at it. Well, in light of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson's announcement this week that the state would, in fact, join a multi-state lawsuit against Purdue Pharmaceutical, pointing to them as the, quote, pain in the state's opioid epidemic. In light of this, it makes sense to revisit our conversation with state representative for Price, chair of the House Select Committee on Opioids and Substance Abuse. Lots of insights from the chairman which preceded the Attorney General's announcement and as you listen may give grounds for the Attorney General's case against Big Pharma. Enjoy the following. Well, for Price is a four-term state representative from Amarillo he is the pride of potter county chairman price leads the house committee on public health which has jurisdiction over all matters pertaining to protection of public health for price welcome on hey thanks jay i appreciate the invitation nice to uh nice to join you this afternoon well always good for you to come on this has been your first time on in the new format right it is like we were west texas drive went to other side of texas and and here you are um So you chair the newly created, well, I say newly, (laughs) you must be thinking, wow, this has gone on a long time, Karen as well, Uh, the House Select Committee on Opioids and Substance Abuse. You have a report that's due on November 1 to the House. For why don't you, lots of people hear opioids and they think like OxyContin, they think hydrocodone, codeine, morphine whenever you tell people what the terms opioid what the term opioids means how do you describe
2: it well there's there's certainly lots of varieties of opioids uh, drugs that are derivative derivatives of opiates you know like bicodin even some of the uh... oxycontin hydrocodone some of those very commonly prescribed drugs but uh... There, there's a whole you know host of drugs that are sort of encompassed by the term opioid and so You know, it's not just an illicit drug. Um, Often it's a prescription that has been legally obtained and then either illicitly used or not used to its fullest extent, and it becomes an addictive uh, um, problem for the person or someone in that family who received the prescription. So when we talk about opioids, we're really talking about a huge grouping of of, uh, drugs, and that can include uh, some forms of, of heroin and other illicit drugs as well.
0: So I want to get into whatever you can divulge about findings in your committee so far. I mean, how much time a week are you putting on this for?
2: Well, there's there's work being done on this every single day. Now, we've had two hearings. We started our hearings in March, and then we had a hearing last week. We'll continue to have hearings all the way through the summer into the early fall so that we have time to prepare a thorough report, as you mentioned, uh, by the uh, November deadline. But what we're learning is... um, You know, statistically, we're hearing a lot of information right now about how broad the crisis is in Texas. And so nearly eight of every 100 Texans have a substance use disorder. And what we know is that those substance use disorders are the leading contributor to children entering child protective services, Mm -hmm. almost two-thirds of all cases in 2016. We know that drug overdoses are the leading cause of maternal deaths in Texas most of which are due to illicit drugs, including illicit use of opioids. Mm-hmm. Then we have unmet costs like uh, substance use disorders in our ERs that extend above $350 million uh, per year. Wow. And, and Is testing, that across
0: the entire state? Is that it, is across uh, in, the entire state. Does that include the, county and nonprofit and for-profit hospitals, or are that just county hospitals?
2: No, it's, it's all of the above, but I think the indirect cost exceeds that. It goes into the billions, you know, Coast to coast, it's over $500 billion in indirect costs for the crisis. Now, in Texas, obviously, it's it's smaller than that. But the deaths, the thing that I thought was most alarming was once we started studying this in our committee, we realized that in Texas alone, opioid-involved overdose deaths increased 400% from 1999 to 2015 and so it's costing taxpayers it's costing individuals obviously you know ruining lives and and unnecessary deaths and and i really do applaud the speaker for you know identifying this as an issue and saying let's let's as a state take steps to uh you know mitigate and alleviate some of the crises we're seeing coast to coast before it gets, you know, uh, any worse in Texas.
0: Well, based upon what you saw, I saw a stat today that said that 70%, there's been a 70% increase just between 2016 and 2017, a 70% increase in opioid overdoses in the Midwest. Based upon what you've seen, is, is that stat valid in Texas?
2: I don't think Texas is as in poorest shape as some of the states in the midwest and some uh down in uh, like for instance the east coast new hampshire has had a real uh difficulty i think uh, you, you come inland and west virginia has been you know often cited as a, a yeah. state in poor in condition ohio, and, and ohio but, but illinois you, some of these but states in the Midwest say have had that. real difficulties but we aren't statistically in as bad a shape but we are going to get there yeah. if we don't take some okay. steps you know, proactively yeah. to uh, eliminate some of the problems that they have faced. And, uh,
0: Chairman, I was interrupting you there, interjecting, though you strongly drove past me, and I really I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say we aren't as, as bad a shape yet because those have been lingering issues there in Appalachia and, and off to the west of Appalachia. But uh, the, the crisis, so far as I understand, hasn't been as bad. Is bad in Texas, but it hasn't lingered as long as it hasn't in other places.
2: Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably a good way to put it. And something I think you'll find interesting, since I know you focus on rural issues um, on this show, we had testimony at our first hearing there was a national study outlining the 25 worst cities uh, in the country uh, with regard to overdose deaths and and overprescribing, and mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of data that went into that. But they this study identified four Texas cities in the top twenty-five. Wow! One of them was Amarillo. One of them was Longview. One of them was Odessa, and the other was Texarkana. Wow! Now those are four cities that are you know not what I would call you know necessarily urban, and three of those four cities are located geographically near uh, a neighboring state. So, you know, one of the things we're going to focus on is preventing bad prescribers practices with ensuring a strong PMP, but we're also going to try to eliminate some doctor shopping, bad patient practices too, because I, I you know, anecdotally, you just got to think that there are people picking up prescriptions in different states, and if those states aren't talking to one another, um, it makes it easier to abuse the system and abuse those drugs.
0: In Texarkana, Longview, and Amarillo, and which other one? Odessa. Odessa. Wow. So, I want to I want to get into the repercussions here, but I just want to ask you politically, Chairman Price. This must be a pretty difficult issue whenever you get into because essentially what you're going to begin to do is take on big pharma. And you're going to take on big pharmacies, uh, big pharmacy producers but you've also got to stand in line, in, not stand in line, but you are also got to advocate for your county hospitals that are absorbing the costs from big pharmacy. What's that like as you deal with it to the extent that you want to get into that on public radio?
1: Well,
2: radio. I don't necessarily frame it quite that way or see it quite that way. I mean, obviously there is a a need for the appropriate use of opioids for both long-term uh, care for folks who maybe have cancer or in the last stages of their life, mm-hmm. hospice care, that kind of thing. And then there's also pain management uh, needs. So, you know, first of all, I don't want to give the impression that we are just against all use of, of some of these, you know, pharmaceutical products because we're not as a committee at all. But we definitely want to, you know, eliminate or, you know, do everything we can to stop the, the problem that exists from getting worse. And I think there's things that we can do. We're already identifying some strategies that are gonna put us in a position to make strong recommendations in the fall prior to the 86th session. And again, I mean, I'm sure that, that not all, you know, a big pharma is gonna love our recommendations. I'm sure not all uh, prescribers or patients will love our recommendations because if you really study these issues, there's a shared level of responsibility up and down that spectrum from the manufacturers to the prescribers to the distributors, you know, to the uh, patients themselves. So I'm, you know, I look at it, you know, it's, it's sort of apolitical in a sense because it doesn't matter what part of the state you're in, what party you belong to, or what your economic status is. This is an issue that's affecting Texans in every part of the state.
0: For Price, joining us here, other side of Texas, about uh, three minutes left in this segment, but I've got two um, two roadside bombs to throw at you here for. <laughs> um, first of all, an addict is someone who, at least in my view, is someone who at one time made an addicting decision, and you may not concur with that, but the question there is, where does personal responsibility lie in all this? Because I see a lot of folks that are pointing fingers at big pharma, big pharmaceuticals, but where's? it seems like we have the same problem with the cartel at the border. At what point do we assume responsibility in communities for these kinds of uh, epidemics?
2: Well, there's absolutely a level of personal responsibility, no question, but some of these addictions to opioids are a little different than some of the other, for instance, illicit drugs. They are so addictive, you know, we've got, we've heard testimony from, from multiple sources about how the CDC guidelines now are are limiting the days of prescriptions under most cases to anywhere from, from seven days or less, um, for these drugs, because after three to five days, in some cases, um, they're so addictive that folks who are legitimately receiving prescriptions can become addicted to them. So, you know, it's, it's a little different than, um, you know, an addict to an illicit drug who they're obtaining on, you know, uh, on the black market in illicit ways. Uh, and they've totally, you know, um, kind of gone over to the dark side, so to speak. I mean, I think there are folks who are legitimately taking drugs that they've been legally prescribed for pain management, for instance, who become addicted and then have a hard time, you know, um, you know dealing with that. And so I think we have to treat that but we also have to do a good job of increasing our prevention programs and education our network of professionals and uh, reducing the inappropriate supply that's out there i think up until now uh you know in the last few years a lot of folks didn't know how to dispose of this so it sat idle in medicine cabinets and things of that nature and then it was used to self-medicate or family members took it or it was sold you know on the street so we need to do a better job in some of these areas, just to just to make some common sense decisions that will affect us, I think, positively statewide.
0: Well, we're going to get into more of that coming up. Is the ranking member on your uh, public health committee, Garnett Coleman, be joining us uh, here momentarily? But one of the last things I want to get into with you, Chairman Price, is lawsuits. And uh, you know, I think back in October, I don't think I know Upshur County. Became the first county in the state to sue uh, Big Pharma. And it seems to me that whenever you talk about unmet costs in Texas at three hundred fifty million dollars, a lot of that would be counties absorbing that cost through healthcare and county hospitals. What will your report provide guidance to counties on lawsuits? And what's your general advice? Whenever surely you're getting calls. If if what county folks tell me is any indication, with lawyers coming essentially ambulance chasing, what's your advice to county officials on lawsuits? Because, well. And I should say, contextually, the state got 15 billion dollars out of tobacco, and surely there's something coming. What's your stance on all this? What's your advice?
2: Well, we're, we've got a a set of charges that the speaker has identified and, and instructed us to follow with respect to our committee's work. Mm-hmm. None of those charges, you know, instruct us to study litigation or give give guidance with respect to litigation and i know a number of counties statewide have have uh joined in lawsuits against certain manufacturers because of unmet costs now whether those are successful or not is really totally separate and apart from what we're doing we do not plan to you know weigh in on that litigation we're going to we're going to follow the charged uh instructions that we received, you know to the letter we're going to make our recommendations um, I really think that, that counties, you know, have to evaluate that for themselves because different counties are certainly uh, out of all 254. There's there's a lot of differences between you know what costs are out there. Now the 350 million I've referenced was what we heard in testimony. Those are just ER costs. Oh, circle a,
1: Speed Queen washers and dryers are built to last longer than any other brand in the market, designed to last 25 years in your home. So it's only fitting that they're also backed by the industry's longest lasting warranty, a warranty that's five times longer than the competition. And unlike anyone else, our warranty covers parts and in-home labor. You heard that right, parts and labor, covered. Get your speed queen and our industry-leading warranty at Brand Source Radio Lab, located at 4902 50th Street.
6: Hey Lubbock, are you thinking about buying or selling a house? You can rely on Charity Leeson at Amy Tapp Realty to provide excellent full-service care from start to finish. Charity Leeson will work with integrity to find your perfect home, right on budget, with open and honest communication. Call to discuss options today at 806-370-7340. Again, that's 806-370-7340. And check out CharityLeason.com and Charity Leason Realtor on Facebook.
0: Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. i want to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on. And at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at flinthat.com. Molded out of
6: red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is The Other Side of Texas with Jay Leeson.
0: some don't you know how you make us both welcome back in other side of texas this segment's brought to you by title one lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company Regular listeners, hear me brag about these guys, and I'm telling you, Title I is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title I can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at title1.com. Texas craft brewers seem to think that the system is rigged, and more and more beginning to believe that It is. The system is a Prohibition-era three-tier, which keeps the beer producers, the distributors, and the retailers financially separate and independent. At least, that's what it's supposed to do. In Texas politics, however, the distributors now, the middle tier of the three tiers, seem to be running the other two tiers by political influence granted to them by what many say our enormous political campaign contribution. The distributors' recent legislative wins have come at the cost to the craft brewers. Hear now from the founder of the state's oldest and largest craft brewer. Four years ago, Texas craft beers experienced a big boom, and then last year, some say the carpet was pulled out from underneath them. Joining us on... Other side of Texas is the president and founder of St Arnold's Brewing Company. He is Brock Wagner. Thanks for coming on with us, Brock. Oh, thanks for having me this morning. Well, tell it, afternoon, I guess it is. yeah, we're at the afternoon now? Maybe you've been taking some off the top there brock <coughs> well we we call it r and d okay <laughs> Tell us a little bit about St Arnold's. When did you start and how big is your production now?
3: So I started at St Arnold in nineteen ninety four and i have been a home brewer prior to that. Uh, today we're Texas's oldest craft brewer, uh, which it's important to note we weren't the first. We just outlasted all the others. Um, and today uh, we're doing about 68,000 barrels of beer a year, uh, which makes us the largest craft brewery in Texas. Uh, but still we're you know, a drop in the bucket compared to the international brewing company
0: so 68 give us you don't have to name one but compared to a big brewer what do they usually do per year so
3: anheuser-busch InBev, just a u.s operation for the old anheuser busch they do about a hundred million barrels a year yeah we're we're a few hours of their production
0: a drop in the barrel as it were so texas historically this this gets a little bit complicated and i know that people really enjoy their craft beer Uh, me being one of them but it goes up against texas history and texas political history in a lot of ways texas has three tier systems and it's not just related to to the beer industry it's also the liquor industry to an extent but especially the automobile industry for instance elon musk recently tried to bring tesla in to try to bypass the distribution angle and go straight production to home some will say that craft beer is a correlation to the automobile industry in Texas in that we do have these three-tier systems. This is the way things have always been. Buck Wagner, why should things change for craft beer?
3: So The three-tier system, it's something that came about after Prohibition and says you can be either a brewer, a distributor, or a retailer, but you can't, they can't cross. And there was a good reason for them because there was a time when breweries would open all, own all the bars and you'd get no selection when you went into a bar. Um, and there were other abuses that occurred because of that. Now, it's the three-tier system has evolved and it needs to continue evolving to reflect kind of the current market environment. And every time it has evolved, uh, for example, back in in 1994, around there, when uh, brew pubs were first legalized. That was the first time you saw a kind of craft beer take hold here in Texas. Then they didn't evolve again until 2013 when we got a bill passed that allowed for breweries like ourselves to sell beer on premise. So prior to 2013, if you came and visited St. Arnold's, I could give you a beer for free. But I couldn't sell you a pint, hmm. uh, which obviously is a pretty bad business proposition. Um, we got that change, and we also got a change because up before 2013, brew pubs could sell their own beer on premise, but they couldn't distribute their beer at all. Uh, the result was you've seen a huge boom in craft brewing here in Texas since those bills were passed in 2013. There's about 250 craft breweries in the state today. Whereas 10 years ago, there was about 20. So, I mean, you can see how when the law changes, it really helps the entire state. Um, that's all been good. Now, last year, there was a step backwards when a bill was passed that um, would restrict some of the operations you can have on premise, especially if a bigger brewery happens to buy your brewery. Um, but it's important for these laws to continue changing. You what, know, one of the things we'd really like to see now is to be able to sell, sell you a six pack of beer when you come visit the brewery. Yeah. Rather than the jug. Well, we can't even sell you a, a, a you know, a growler to take home. Oh. No. If you go to a brew pub, they can, but we, but a shipping brewery like ourselves.
0: Okay, is not. that's a that's an important distinction there. So the House bill, the bill that you're referring to in 2017 that passed out of the 85th Legislature, HB 3287, that was, I believe by Craig Goldman, who's a state representative out of, of West Fort Worth. Some call that bill an extortion tax or a dock bump tax. Go ahead and explain further why, I don't know if you feel the same way, you probably do, if you feel that that is an extortion tax and how it is an extortion tax.
3: So, that was an interesting bill. There was one group of constituents who was for that bill in the entire state of Texas, and that was beer wholesalers. Uh, Breweries were all against it. Uh... Yeah, consumers were against it. It's just a very small, uh, really a small number of of men who who were in favor of this bill. And what it does is if you get up to a certain size, you then have to, if you're a brewery like us, uh, and we're not at that size yet, but if we get there, we would have to start purchasing the beer that we sell at our premises, back from a distributor so we and what's even sillier about it is the distributor doesn't actually want to pick the beer up from us bring it to their warehouse and ship it back to us so that we could serve it they'll just give us an invoice for what we take from our cold box and serve there at our uh you know move to our bar and, and sell uh just to get their bump tax. So that's one aspect to the bill. Uh, The other aspect of the bill, which is you have to get a little bit more into the weeds, but is probably more critical to craft brewers in Texas, is it reduced the value of Texas craft brewers by about 50% because it makes us unappealing for any other brewery in the country or the world to want to invest in our breweries because it could, their investment could actually cause us to have to shut down our tap rooms. And our tap rooms are our number one marketing tool. You know, that's how people like to come visit breweries, experience us, taste the beer, and then they go out to other bars and restaurants and grocery stores and, and purchase our beer. So it sounds like,
0: you say a small number of men, Uh, the phrase that you used, beer wholesalers, but whenever it gets down into Austin and into the Pink Dome, if you got 76 on the House side and 16 on the Senate side, you've got a bill that becomes law. Uh, How was a, how were the beer wholesalers or a small group of men able to push that through both chambers and then not receive the governor's veto in the end? Well, they're one of
3: the Largest contributors of political donations to uh, to the politicians in the state of Texas. Um, and, you know their donations are in the millions of dollars every single election cycle, and that's from the governor, the lieutenant governor, and they pretty much blanket the entire legislature. So it's kind of one of those money talks, and uh, they're very lucrative businesses and that's how it works it, it's not about unfortunately this is one of those cases where it's not about what's good for the state of texas you know the people the consumers uh the overall economy it becomes very much focused on on some individual
0: businesses uh, i'm going to go through some rapid fire here brock wagner and i know that we value your time, and thank you for coming in. But I've got, I want to know how you started. Did you start, like, in your bathtub or your garage? I mean, you saw an opening. <laughs> Obviously, you saw an opening before 94 and knew that there would be the opportunity to establish, to found a craft beer. How would you start?
3: So I started out as a home brewer. I was actually in college. It was the RA in my dorm that taught me to home brew. So technically, I am using what I learned at Rice. Although this is not what my parents thought I was, wait, studying was right it
0: in or. the dorm, Brock, or was it in a residence? It was in,
3: it was in the dorm. Nice,
0: <laughs> nice. Those private uh, school kids—you know—you never know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> wow. Well, and we, yeah. And I kept homebrewing. It, it really—that became my passion. I would do it on weekends after college, when I was when I was working on coming up with uh, the name for the brewery. I started thinking, well, I wonder who the patron saint of brewers is. And I started doing research, and I found St. Arnold. He was a great guy. He was the Bishop of Metz from 612 to 629, and he was known for running around the countryside <laughs> telling all his parishioners, do not drink water. Water is bad, which was true back then. To drink beer is a gift of God. He was, he was a very popular bishop. I have no, no interest in selling St. Arnold, but I've been approached by every, you know, Major brewing company that exists. But should you want to, or if people are just looking to invest in your brewery, it has actually scuttled investment in some other small craft breweries after this bill got passed. Wow. So what we're faced with is be more like, let's say, your, your, your parent broadcasting company was told, well, if you're purchased by a larger broadcasting company, you can get the frequency but your show can't be aired anymore. Hmm. And Man, so you're suddenly, really making it hit home now, Brock. The, yeah, well that's kind of what what that build does. So suddenly nobody really is gonna be interested in in investing in the parent company of your uh you know, of your radio. No. Uh, so tell me, th- I've uh,
0: talked with guys who took that vote, and this is what they'll say to me, that took that vote against you in for 3287 They'll say, look, we have a large number of people who work in these wholesalers and in these distribution companies in our district, and we voted for those jobs because this could be an upheaval to the entire uh, beer industry in Texas. What do, what would you say to those who who make those kinds of arguments? Am I allowed to say
4: air? Uh,
3: we can edit that out. <laughs> okay. Uh, that that is the biggest bunch of malarkey that I've ever heard. Um, that is not going to cause distribution jobs to go away. It is. You know, distributors tend to, especially their lobbyists, like to create uh, craft breweries as boogeymen for them. I think primarily to make sure that the lobbyists can keep their jobs. But every time the laws evolve in a positive way for craft breweries, the amount of craft beer that these distributors sell goes up. And they make more money selling our craft beer than they do the, the big mass-produced brands. It's this fear, this, they view the economy and the market for beer as a zero-sum game. And I'm actually an economist by training, and I can tell you, every time you look at something as a zero-sum game and that's the way you start behaving, what actually happens is the pie shrinks. What we're trying to do is get these laws to evolve, which will actually grow the pie, and everybody will benefit from it. But there would be zero loss of jobs that would have occurred if they didn't pass that bill. That bill, that that is complete smoke-and-mirrors, look-over-here kind of thing. There's, there's no basis to... to that statement. It's tough because we don't have the money to donate that the big brewers do. And unfortunately, as long as money becomes the uh, the driving force in politics, as long as that's the case, it's going to be hard. And you know, the end result may not be what's actually best for the state of Texas.
0: We hope that you'll come back on as things begin to heat up as we go into the 86th legislature.
3: Well, I appreciate you having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, it's been great.
0: Brock Wagner, again, founder of St. Arnold. Go to starnold.com.
6: Two-collar Bill here. For 20 years, West Texas Accessory Depot has been Lubbock's place for toolboxes, grill guards, power inverters, and everything I need to make my rig work for me. And now Accessory Depot is a licensed Stanley Black & Decker wholesaler, so I can get my DeWalt, Porter Cable, and Proto work tools with AD's great customer service at cheaper prices than the box stores. They're a one-stop shop for a full truck outfit, from toolbox to tool out. Give West Texas Accessory Depot a call today at 806-866-9494. That's 806-866-9494. Or go see them at 7405 82nd, just west of Valencia, or at WTAccessoryDepot.com. That's WTAccessoryDepot.com.
1: Speed Queen washers and dryers are built to last longer than any other brand in the market, designed to last 25 years in your home. So it's only fitting that they're also backed by the industry's longest-lasting warranty, a warranty that's five times longer than the competition. And unlike anyone else, our warranty covers parts and in-home labor. You heard that right. Parts and labor. Covered. Get your Speed Queen and our industry-leading warranty at Brand Source Radio Lab, located at 4902 50th Street.
4: Smile, it's gonna be okay. Jason White Dentistry, the West Texas Way. Smile and time is how it's done. We treat you like you're the only one mind is our state of mind we want to get to know you one smile at a time smile it's gonna be okay jason white dentistry the west texas way
2: but of all the little towns in west texas you can't understand just how how they ride it out through the dust and drought till you
0: Welcome back in this segment brought to you by Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992. For a free and hassle free estimate, check out my friends at lubbockfileroom.com or just simply call 806 744 7666. That's 806 744 7666. I don't know if you've heard or not, but the hottest political race in Texas right now is the one that you've not heard about, the one that's gradually growing to a boil. And that's the election of the next Speaker of the Texas House, which will have enormous impact on the form of government that impacts you the most, and that's state politics, which is why we cover it here on the other side of Texas. Pete Laney is a former five-term Speaker. We discussed with Speaker Laney what it takes to win an open seat like we have at present and what the next speaker must do if they intend to be elected speaker. Pete Laney, former Speaker of the House, joining us here, other side of Texas. You talk about your tenure, Pete, and sorry, Mr. Speaker. (laughs) We're on the radio. Mr. Speaker, you talk about your tenure. Talk to us about you deciding that you were going to run
5: for speaker, and what that process was like. Well, the the main thing is that that you've got to communicate with every member of the house because every member of the house has a vote. There's a hundred Republicans and Democrats. Republicans and Democrats, and there's hundred and fifty House members. the The last speaker was elected. I was there 20 years when I was elected Speaker. Uh, the, speaker the present Speaker was there four, four years yeah. when he was elected. Uh, and he was elected in a bipartisan manner. Speaker uh, Joe Strauss. Speaker Joe Strauss. Uh, he, he he got accused of not being enough Republican, but his mother was a—and and he— and he were Republicans in San Antonio before there were any Republicans in San Antonio. So it's not that that he that he he didn't have credentials because he worked nope. he worked in Washington. But for, you talk to everybody,
0: and then how does that process begin to play out?
5: Well, first of all, you you go tell people that you'd like to have their support, and you just go say, if you can support me, I'd appreciate it, and that that's uh, you don't promise of anything don't. you don't No, definitely you not you can't have any, you can't have any you kind warrant. of not you a, not a thing. thing like that and uh you uh you put together then you put together a team of those eight or ten that you first talked to that agree with your you being speaker and then you put them on the road this with you or working other members uh i spent a i spent a lot of time in the air and wore out an airplane. Uh, going all over the state of Texas, and was in everybody's district at least two or three times.
0: Cause you're a pilot. Yeah, yeah.
5: And and was it was in in people's districts and went to functions where they were even ones that I knew wasn't going to support me. Uh, and uh, but uh, I uh, uh, I worked hard at it and put together a team that uh, uh, and then. At, at a point in time, I when I had the 76 votes, well, I told all my opponents that I had the 76 and did they want to be, and all but one of them did. How long was that process? Oh, it was probably six months. Six months. Or, or How, uh, ha- Well, it was actually probably, uh, yeah, uh, at least, yeah, it was probably at least six months. So the full process, when did you have 76 Oh, I can't remember the day we announced it, but it was... Would
0: you say it was like halfway through or three-quarters? Oh, no, or? it
5: was three-quarter way through. Okay. Yeah. It,
0: so how vital is it to coalesce that support
5: early on? Well, as mu- much... You try to get as much support as you can as quick as you can because, first of all, you never know who is going to be there because it's it's a lot of it's going to happen before the... Some of it happened before the primary... Uh, some of it's going to happen a lot of it's going to happen before the general election mm-hmm. and and you really don't know who's going to so you, you've got to work both sides uh, because you don't know who's going to be there you don't know who's going to be there yeah
0: and I think that there are five to ten seats that people expect Democrats to turn well or, it, or there, the there'll,
5: there'll be some changes yeah and and but you've, you've got to you've got to take that into consideration uh, now if you've been there a while you're not you're going you're not going to sport a opposition to a sitting member. I mean you you're 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 not going to get involved in their campaign vocally vocally yeah you're, you're not going to get involved in their campaign. uh, uh you're going to say nice things about the people that are, that are nice to you. Yeah,
0: but, but you know what does not make a sound, Pete, hardly a sound other than the groan afterwards is a knife penetrating open flesh and i say that to say i was in nacogdoches last week at a big event with senator robert nichols and Tr- representative travis Clardy. and it was a who's who a lot of people came down 30 house members handful of senators and the governor came down and we all knew those of us who were there with them that Odds are like 90% that the next Speaker of the House is in this room right
5: now. Will there be knife fighting in that crowd? Well, we, we, we in, the, in the race I ran, we didn't say anything bad about our opponents. Now, some of them may have said something bad about me, but I didn't catch it if they did. We just talked about how positive we were in our campaign. And we did the same thing when we were trying to help somebody get elected. We didn't say anything bad about that. But opponent. you guys
0: all had bulldogs who might go. Well, uh, might go after somebody.
5: Not really. Uh, okay. That 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 that's relatively new because uh, because of the of the party politics involved and the consultants in the, the packs. And the packs. Well, the, well, not necessarily the packs as much as the consultants that oh. run the packs. Uh, How
0: and, many tiers above prostitution is a consultant?
5: Well, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that, but
0: <laughs> but no, but I've heard but, you talk enough a lot that you would say that a major change in politics is the consultant.
5: Well, sure. Uh, from your I'm seventy three to now. There, there's consultants that charge for a house race fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, and the first first my first race that I ran was against a, a an individual turned out to be a good friend, but uh, was against an eight year incumbent, and I spent. Less than seven thousand uh, dollars.
0: Whenever at, you and you nor Delwyn, whenever you got pitted together in the same district, Delwyn Jones, mm-hmm. no consultants involved there.
5: No, because a consultant well,
0: would just said, "Don't ever ride to events with your opponent." Well, that's which right. Is what you and Delwyn Jones did. Right.
5: Well, and and uh, consultants set in an office in Austin, Texas, or in Dallas, Texas, or somewhere, and. Tell you how to run your district, run run a race in your district. And, uh, you know, the, the person that helped me the most in my race was a guy I went to college with that happened to be the uh, news editor of the Plainview Daily Herald. And because he said something nice about me in one of his columns, in his, in his editorial column, uh, they took his column out of the newspaper <laughs> because he said he was being too partial. But he, he, you know, he advised me about uh, uh, and, and wrote a lot of my press releases and stuff, but he did it as a friend, and uh, we graduated from high school. His name was Mike Wall, uh, a great individual and a, and a real good friend.
0: That'll do it for this remote version of Other Side of Texas. Hope you enjoyed all those great interviews that we lined up for you. Reminder that next week. On Monday, as always, we'll have Braddock on Texas, Scott Braddock, Quorum Report. And then what happened over the weekend, a new segment that we'll introduce on Mondays with the Lubbock Police Department, the craziest things that they saw and what they did about it. Off the bat first will be the Police Chief Greg Stevens himself with us on the show on Monday. And then we'll jump in with Mike Collier, Democratic Democratic. Lieutenant Governor Candidate, who will join us in studio on Tuesday. Plenty of saucy things, I'm sure, coming from Collier on Wednesday, as always, Executive Editor of the Texas Tribune, Ross Ramsey. And then on Thursday, I don't know if you've heard about this piece or not, but I read it and was just captivated by Stephen Whitmer. And it was uh, his recollection of how he once didn't enjoy rural ministry, but now thinks that ministry in small towns is worth a lifetime investment. And we'll have a lengthy discussion with him about that and why rural ministry matters. And uh, I hope that you'll make a note of that and look forward to downloading the podcast or listening to it here on AM580, where we broadcast each weekday, 5 to 6 p.m. Until then, we'll catch up with you at Other Side of Texas on Facebook, at OSTx show on Twitter and other side of texas.com again thank you for tuning in and thank you for telling a friend not headed for an above average supper now headed for a great camp out with a great little girl and I look forward to hanging out with you next week on other side of Texas if
3: you haven't climbed up to Enchanted Rock, Drink a cold shiner down and looking in